It's been a while since we've done our uh, intro class, which we call Discover Redeemer, for folks interested in getting to know more about the church. But in the years that we've done it, there's one topic that gets more debate than any other. It's not Anglican politics. It's not women's ordination. It's not even the Eucharist. It is baptism. Yes. The church in general has practiced baptism in a variety of ways over the centuries, and they've fought about them all. Many of us come to Redeemer from non-denominational or free church traditions. We have very few who grew up in the Anglican church proper. And so for many of us, we grew up in traditions that practice what we call believer's baptism, right? Where adults come to faith in Christ, and then they are baptized as a statement of public proclamation. I came out of that context. I grew up in First Baptist Church of Corona, California. My parents were Baptist. Their parents were Baptist. In fact, my great-great-grandfather was a Baptist preacher in Kansas. I got the credentials, I guess. <laughs> I remember my baptism. I was about seven. I remember wearing a white robe, not one like this. I think it was fuzzy. I remember peeking during the prayer and hoping that my uncle, who was videotaping it, didn't catch it on camera. We had in the Baptist church a big baptismal tub up in front, as many Baptist churches do. And the background of it, like on the wall, had this picture of a beautiful flowing forest stream. I felt like I should be able to hear this. They might have even had the sound effect. Now, I can't remember that. I was dunked three times. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Maybe you had a similar experience in the Baptist church or not, maybe in the lake, something that you remember. There is definitely a gift in a baptism that we can remember. Today, we are baptizing a tiny child who won't be able to remember this day of his baptism. I guess unless the live stream survives for years from now. There is a gift in this too. Today I'm doing something I haven't done in a while, which is more of a teaching sermon, some teaching about baptism, because it has been a while. Um, I was feeling kind of guilty for doing a teaching sermon, and I realized a topical sermon is a thing. I just haven't done it for a while. So this is more of a topical sermon today on baptism, because baptism asks for commitments for an adult who comes to be baptized or for the grown-ups bringing their child to be baptized. And it also asks for commitments from us here today, bearing witness. So as we prepare to make that commitment, we should probably know what we're doing. I want to answer briefly three questions, hopefully briefly, three questions for us this morning. First, what does the Bible have to say about baptism? Second, how do Anglicans think about baptism? And then, of course, three, what about infants? As you can imagine, each of these is many books worth. So I probably will not answer all of your questions, but I hope give you at least enough of a taste to think about. I benefited this week from Scott McKnight's book on baptism, and we also tend to recommend the book The Water That Divides by Donald Bridge, if you are interested in learning more. So first, what does the Bible have to say about baptism? It's a big topic. We can't cover it all. But a few handholds for us today. First, Scripture talks about baptism as a necessary step of discipleship, not optional. It's a command from Jesus. Think about that. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Jesus is about to ascend to the Father. 
He gives the disciples last-minute instructions and tells them and us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So Jesus talks about discipleship as baptism and teaching. Baptism is the faithful response to hearing and believing the good news. If you have your Bible and you want to have it open today, Acts 2 would be a good spot. I'm going to refer to it a few different times. We've been hearing about Peter's Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. Right before our section today, the people have heard his big gospel proclamation, his big sermon, and they, they are cut to the heart, and they say, what should we do? What should we do to this good news that we've heard? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And they are. Throughout Acts, that's the pattern. How do we respond to the good news? Repent and be baptized. And they are. So again, the Bible speaks of this as a necessary step. The Bible also speaks of baptism as something that unites us with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Peter's words in Acts, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. That comes up throughout Acts again. It's a way of when you're baptized, being brought under a person's lordship, a new allegiance. When we're baptized, Jesus becomes our Lord. We are under him. Amen. Romans 6, the people Paul's talking to brings up this argument, hey, we've got grace, so we can sin all we want. And Paul says, no. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we're baptized, we're plunged into a new story, a new allegiance, a new identity. In baptism, Jesus' story becomes our story. The Bible also speaks of baptism as the entry point into the church by the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, we were all baptized by one spirit to us to form one body, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Baptism is the thing that brings us into the church, the body of Christ. Now, the early church took this really, really seriously. They had like a three-year process, right, of learning and committing to faith, and the very culmination of that after three years, two or three years of preparation, was baptism and then full entry into the church, including receiving the Eucharist for the first time. That's how seriously the early church took baptism. And last point about scripture that I want to make today is that the Bible connects baptism with certain benefits of faith, particularly receiving forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words, remember this in uh, John 3, Yes, being born from above means being born of water and the Spirit. Jesus ties those things together. Peter in Acts 2 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3 pushes us even a little further. And this water, he's talking about the Noah coming through the flood, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. How many are feeling a little uncomfortable? right now. 
It makes many of us uncomfortable because so many of us were raised with the sinner's prayer as the entry into faith. And scripture talks more about baptism than that. Not knocking the sinner's prayer. I've, I've prayed it, trying to think, I probably will encourage my kids to pray it. That's the, that's the next question. Anyway, it's not in my notes. Scripture connects baptism and redemption much more closely, although always in the context of repentance and faith. I see some other parents thinking about that now. Connects baptism and repentance always in the context of repentance and faith. Baptism is a response of faith to what God has already done. It's a way in which we are immersed, yes, even when we're sprinkled, immersed into the salvation Christ accomplished for us once and for all in his life, death, and resurrection. A few years ago, when I was still a deacon, I had the opportunity to perform my first baptism with uh, permission, of course. Deacons need permission for that. It was the child of one of our Rwanda missioners, Briar. And that got me thinking about baptism in a new way, as I was thinking, what shall I say about the, this person's child being baptized? I started to think a little bit of ba- about baptism as a passport. Our missionaries and their families, as you know, in Rwanda are U.S. citizens. They're living abroad in a foreign land. Their passport is essential for them to be able to live and serve abroad as they do. It represents that wherever they live, their citizenship is rooted elsewhere. It marks their home identity, and it gives them the benefits of U.S. citizenship no matter where they end up in the world. Baptism is a little bit like that for us. When we are baptized, we become citizens of the kingdom. We're tasked with learning how to live as a kingdom citizen. What are the laws of the kingdom? even as we live in a land that sometimes works against that citizenship, and we inherit the benefits of a child of the kingdom. In our baptism, we belong to the kingdom of God, and then we have the responsibility of living that out. So when we say to one another, remember your baptism, we say, remember your identity, remember your allegiance, remember where your citizenship lies, and we give thanks for the benefits such a passport gives us. Now, I haven't read that in any theology book, so Felipe can tell me later whether it's, anyway, passport. So that's a big flyover of scripture and more could be said. But I want to move now to how do Anglicans think about baptism? I think we say scripture always comes first. We look first at interpretation of scripture. We look at how the great tradition of the church has interpreted scripture And then we look at how our own Anglican tradition has come to those scriptures and made sense of them. So you might know that as Anglicans, we don't pull this out in our worship service very often, but we have something called the 39 Articles, which if you find a prayer book, is at the end. And it's a window into how Anglicans have interpreted the theology of the scriptures. And there's some key words that start with an S. Yeah, all of them. First is a sign, baptism as a sign. Just like circumcision was the sign of the covenant, baptism a sign of new covenant, a mark of difference. I got this image as I was preparing. If you had a spiritual black light shining on you, baptism would show up. It's a sign of new birth, points toward that reality. Anglicans and scripture talk about baptism as a seal, not the animal. Romans 4.11 
Paul says, Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Think of an envelope, an official envelope with the wax on it, and then an official seal of approval. In baptism, we receive Christ's own mark, his own mark, his official signature on us that can't be erased. Baptism as a seal. We also talk about baptism as a symbol, something that represents cleansing, redemption, burial, and resurrection with Christ, a symbol in our body, but not just a symbol, but also a sacrament. Sign, seal, symbol, sacrament, which is something physical that points to and participates in something spiritual. Just like if you have a dollar bill that represents money and it does something. If you have monopoly money, it looks like money, but it won't do anything. One is a symbol, one is a sacrament. This is a big can of worms, I know. You can ask me later. The point here is that in baptism, we don't, it doesn't just represent something. It does something. God does something. There is real grace, real gift, real love in this act. This is a mystery. I was thinking about the sacraments, and I was thinking about how when we eat food, I don't have to sit there and think, okay, food, nourish my body. We eat it, it works, it nourishes us. The sacraments do that for us by God's grace without us doing anything other than receiving them by faith. The Book of Common Prayer, the 39 Articles, this is the only time I'm going to quote that today, it says this, They that receive baptism rightly are grafted into the church. The promises of the forgiveness of sin and of our adoption to be the sons of God by the Holy Ghost are visibly signed and sealed. Faith is confirmed and grace increased by virtue of prayer unto God. So baptism points to something and does something all at once, but it's God who does it. Not me, the priest, not the water in and of itself, not the person receiving it. Although, notice that that article still talks about receiving baptism rightly and grace increasing through prayer to God. We have a participation in it too, through faith. So speaking of faith, what about infants? We have talked about baptism as a response of faith, a sign of new life and birth, of union with Christ, tied closely with repentance and forgiveness of sins. How can Oscar do that? I'm going to give us a little more scripture and one more key word that also starts with S. First, scripture. Again, big conversation. But I want to point us beyond any one particular text to a theme of scripture, which is the theme of the household of faith. Um, here in the U.S., faith is often a very individual thing for us, but scripture points us toward the opposite. It points us toward a family of faith, the body of Christ, the people of Israel. The Old Testament covenant, as we've talked about, had a sign and seal of circumcision. We read that Abraham was counted righteous, then he was circumcised, then his entire household, including the little kids, the boy kids, was circumcised as well. There was a place for the very youngest children in the Old Testament people of God and in that covenant. Circumcision, as we know, was pointing towards something deeper, circumcision of the heart. And the New Testament connects this to baptism explicitly in Colossians 2. In the New Testament, baptism is the sign of covenant identity, just like in the Old Testament. 
When the family leader in the New Testament turned to Christ, the entire household was baptized. We read about this time after time. Someone comes to faith, the whole household is baptized, allegiance to Christ. So, if there was a place for the youngest children in the first covenant, if there are scriptures that connect baptism and circumcision, if the New Testament seems to point to entire households being baptized into allegiance with Jesus as well, surely there is a place for the very youngest children in the New Testament people of God as well. For them to be full members of the household of God. For them to be heirs of the promises alongside us, boys and girls. For them to receive grace and a passport of faith. For them to never know a time when they were not embraced by the Lord and invited to respond. Many of us come from traditions that strongly emphasize conversion, that need for a personal relationship with Jesus. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Scripture emphasizes conversion too, but it gives a couple of different models. Paul on the road to Damascus is a very clear conversion story. Boom, boom, converted. <laughs> May it be, oh Lord. But what about Peter? When was Peter converted? When were you converted if you grew up in the household of faith? Sometimes conversion is a long process of God's grace in our response. God's grace in our response. And frankly, it is even when you have the Damascus Road moment. So this brings me to the last key word theologians sometimes use when it comes to baptism, which is the word Seed. Seed. Author Michael Green says this, Baptism is the pledge of God's new life, but it's like a seed. It only germinates when it encounters the water of repentance and the sunshine of faith. Scott says something similar in his book. Baptism, whether infant or adult, needs to be seen for what the Bible says it is. The beginning of a journey that God initiates, like a seed in, care of, in need of care, water, and sun. In other words, for every single one of us, for Oscar, for Alex, for me, for you, for every single one of us, whenever we were baptized, we have the ongoing call to Christ day in, day out, tending to the work of growth God is producing in our lives. For all of us, baptism is the start of the journey, the start of the journey of faith. So as Oscar is baptized this morning in a few minutes, we believe that God plants a real seed of grace in his little life, one which his parents and us will commit to watering, tending, and teaching him how to tend for himself as he grows. Because this isn't a job just for Felipe and Carla. Thank goodness. This is the job for all of us to teach our children in word and deed, to raise them in the household of faith and teach them how to be citizens of the kingdom. As they grow, they, like us, will have to choose how to respond. They have to renew their passport. But they'll never know a time in which they were far from God's grace and the blessings of his kingdom. I love the picture we'll have today in a minute, I'm almost done, don't worry, of Oscar receiving his baptism and Alex reaffirming his. It is the perfect picture of how we're meant to live our life of faith. We receive God's grace before we even know it, we respond in faith over and over again. And by God's grace and with care and commitment, the little seed of faith can grow into a mighty 
tree planted by streams of water. So as we prepare to come here, we too make commitments. We remember today, you're baptized. I'm baptized. When my heart is unsure about where I am with the Lord, I have a reminder, that black light on my forehead. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm marked as Christ's own forever. I am beloved. We'll have a chance as you come forward to communion today to touch the baptismal water and just touch it to your forehead again as a reminder. I am Christ's own in my baptism. We renew the promises we made today or the ones made on our behalf. When we're baptized into Christ, our allegiance belongs to him alone. The Acts 2 portion that's in our text for today pushes us to think about what that looks like. Pushes us to think about what it looks like, what commitments we make in baptism. And as I said, we make a fresh promise today to Oscar, to Alex, and to their parents. We will stand and say, we are your family now. We'll walk with you. We will not leave you to figure this out alone. We'll not leave your parents to figure this out alone. We pray for God's grace to be good tenders of the seed God plants today. You ready to make that commitment? We need God's grace for that. So people of God, today remember your baptism and commit yourself again to the one who is faithful to you. He who began a good work in you, including in your baptism, will be faithful to complete it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.